Is there life after death? This is the question that has plagued humanity since the first dude went, Ugh, my guts, and fell down and died. Today we're going to take a look at two stories that have opposite answers to that question. First off, we take a look at the story of a young family who starts renting a house. But they have no idea this house is already inhabited by a ghost who can make solid objects appear out of thin air. And then we take a look at a scientist who spent his entire life skeptical of the idea of life after death. Until one day he got sick and died himself. Only to suddenly be reawakened in a world of endless jello. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are going to have a lot of fun this weekend. And this will probably be the last reminder, next week, May 13th, I will be in McMinnville, Oregon, at the McMinniman's UFO Festival. On May 14th, I'll have a vendor booth out, we're going to be handing out stickers, and we're going to have a ball. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you happen to be traveling through the area, swing on by, say hi to me, and then all the other weirdos and freaks that are there talking about UFO stuff. It's really going to be cool. And the following week, there's only going to be four episodes coming up that week. Because I do most of my production stuff on Saturday, all my research, so I'm losing that. To be there and to be meeting people and maybe meeting you. Who knows? But someone who I'm meeting right now, because you're walking into Dead Rabbit Command, everyone on your feet, give it up for one of our Christmas live stream contributors, Sawyer Elliott. Woo, yeah, he's coming in dressed up like a Christmas tree. It's a couple months too late, Sawyer, but come on in. Ring them little jingle bells. Sawyer, you're, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. Now, Sawyer, let's go ahead and get things started by tossing you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're driving all the way out to a house in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Now, I found this story posted online by someone named Mandins, and Mandins said, you know, this didn't happen to me, this happened to my friend. This was a story that Mandins has heard. And we don't have a year, we don't have a location, which is pretty common for a lot of stories online, really. But anyways, we're going to go, a couple years ago is when this story reportedly took place. There was a young couple, and their dog moved on to this rental property. Because they're moving into this new place. This young couple, they've already had their own share of hardships. The girlfriend, let's go ahead and call her Mandy, had already had back-to-back miscarriages. And the husband, we'll call him Jack. (laughs) I don't know, he probably had some bad stuff happen to him. I mean, obviously miscarriages affect both people in the couple, but I don't have anything specific for him. Maybe he stubbed his toe as he was moving into this house. But this couple, you know, they're getting ready to have a nice, fresh start in this brand new rental property, and they got their dog. We'll call him Rover. I don't know why he was trying to talk. He was trying to talk for the very first time. They looked at Rover. They're like, what? Did he just try saying something? And and the dog's like, nope. And they're like, oh, okay. So you got Mandy, Jack, and Rover moving into this house. And, and almost immediately after starting to live here, Mandy starts to have these experiences. It started off with things like, 
feeling her hair being tugged. Huh? What? Huh? Who did that? And Jack's like in the other room. <laughs> and Rover's all laughing like that dog from those old cartoons. <laughs> but it's not him. It's not an animated dog. It's Rover. Something was pulling her hair. And then occasionally she'd be sitting there and something would tickle her feet. Ooh. Pretty creepy, right? She starts going up to her husband and being like, Jack, Jack, you won't believe what just happened. Somebody pulled my hair and it's not the dog. I'm very suspicious of him already. He's trying to build a blimp to enter some sort of race. But it's not the dog. And then my feet got tickled. And you weren't anywhere around. I was just sitting here with my, my shoes off, reading a book. Something tickled my feet. And Jack, because of the things that they had been through, and, the, and because specifically because of the things that Mandy had been through with the miscarriages, he starts to think that it's probably just her imagination. Oh, you're just, you're just imagining physical sensations on your body. You're just imagining your hair being pulled. So he doesn't put much stock into it. But this happens so much. She starts to say, hey, we got to move. I'm actually too scared to be here. And it's not just by myself. I'll have these sensations while you're in the house. Like, we got to move. Man, you know, they're renting this property. It seems to be a pretty good piece of property. So Jack's like, listen, I, we're not going to leave just yet. We're going to wait until the poltergeist sets you on fire, and then we'll leave. He goes, we're not going to leave just yet. Let's go ahead and see if your sister wants to move in with us. Maybe that'll calm you down. Because he doesn't believe that it's anything ghostly. So anyways, the sister does end up moving in. And one night, the three of them are sitting in the living room. And all of a sudden, the husband and the sister hear a... They hear a very loud slap echo through the living room. And both of them look around. I mean, it's an, it was an audible sound that came out of nowhere. The husband and the sister are kind of looking around like, what in the world caused that? And Mandy was sitting there rubbing her forehead. And she said, as we were all just sitting here, an invisible force slapped me in the forehead. And now everyone had had a bit of an experience. I mean, she got slapped. She was the one who got assaulted. But the husband and the sister knew something was in the house now. Because they clearly heard the slap and there was nothing there to make the slap. I mean, sure, there were <laughs> sure there were six hands in there, but none of them slapped Mandy and she didn't slap herself. So the very next day, the husband calls up the landlord and says, Listen, this is going to sound super weird, but my wife keeps getting tickled and my wife keeps getting... <laughs> I'm kind of getting jealous. I love getting tickled. Oh, man. My wife's getting tickled and my wife's getting her hair pulled. And then, you know, last night... We all heard a loud slap and my wife got slapped in the face by something. So she's ready to leave. Like, is there something we need to know about? And then the landlord on the phone goes, Oh, oh yes. Yes, I was afraid this day would come. The tickling, the hair pulling, the slapping of women. Oh, it reminds me of a memory I thought I had gotten past. You see, seven years ago, I used to live in that property. But I moved away. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not there right now. The, the, man, the landlord jumps out of the closet. He's like, surprise, I wasn't when he slapped your wife. The landlord goes, I moved away because seven years ago, my own son, Matthew, drowned on that property. He died. And and knowing how precocious my five-year-old son Matthew was, I'm sure that's him. 
he's probably his ghost running around, slapping your wife, tickling your wife, pulling her hair. So the, <laughs> the husband's like, wait, 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 what? What, you're telling me your dead kid might be here beating up my wife? And the landlord goes, probably. Like, that's that's my best guess, right? When I lived there, there was no ghost. My son died. Now there's a ghost. That's <laughs> probably how it worked out. And the landlord begins yelling over the phone, and he says, quote, Matthew, if you're here, stop playing tricks on this poor woman. You're scaring her. The the abuse stopped. I, I, hair pulling and tickling, I wouldn't really classify as abuse. I guess if you didn't want it, it would be abuse. Obviously, slapping someone in the head. You shouldn't be doing that. Ghost or otherwise. But after the dad was like, Matthew, I told if I told you once, I told you a million lifetimes. Quit slapping people. After the landlord yelled at his son over the phone, the physical abuse stopped, but the haunting never stopped. As long as they lived there, and they lived there for a few more years, they began to encounter all this other activity. Some of them, it's pretty benign, right? And you could chalk it up to other things, like the toilets would flush on their own. You know, whatever, that's cool. Like, maybe it's like a plumbing issue, and or maybe it's a hopeful ghost. You're sitting there, you're going to the bathroom, and you're like, pewee, I better flush the toilet. And then before you can flush it, it flushes itself. You're like, thank you. Thank you, five-year-old boy who just watched me defecate. You've done your duty. And they hear a little voice go, hee <laughs> duty. Actually, now that I think about it, that would be quite terrifying. I don't know if it was flushing the toilet while it's all they're taking a shower and he's flushing the toilet. They're like, ah! I don't know if it was flushing the toilet while they were sitting on the toilet. Because that would be creepy, right? To think that there was a ghost. I guess if you live in a haunted house, you have to make the assumption that while you are doing anything... There is a specter of a bloodied woman standing in the corner watching you do it. I just I think that's probably I think it's <laughs> probably fair to assume anywhere you go. So be on your best behavior, even at your home. There might be some woman standing there in a stained, old, ripped up wedding gown with her face clawed off by her own fingernails, and she's watching you play Minecraft for nine hours. No, that that, that is probably happening at some point. But Matthew is not only flushing toilets, he also would play with their dog. So remember Rover? He's still a part of the story. He Rover's running up and down the hallways sometimes. And the two sisters and the husband would kind of be like, well, that's weird. Rover would run up and down the hallway. And they said the way that he was running was like someone was running alongside him, playing with him. Hey, this way, Rover. Wee! <laughs> No, let's go back the other end of this hallway. <laughs> oh, man, I'm, a, I'm a dog. I'm an idiot. Even I think this is boring. Ghost is like, wee! It's just like a three-foot hallway, and they're just running back and forth. Rover's like, uh... And so all that stuff is interesting, right? <laughs> Jason, no, not really. You're like, I guess it's mildly interesting. I don't know if it's really worthy of a Friday episode. But this is why I really wanted to cover this. The toilet's flushing, the playing with the dog, getting slapped by a ghost. This is why I really wanted to cover this. One day, the young couple was sitting in their living room, and all of a sudden, a matchbox car rolled down the hallway. And Jake and Mandy look at each other, and they go, we don't own any matchbox cars, do we? 
They didn't. <laughs> it wouldn't have been a story if they're like, oh yeah, I own a bunch of Matchbox cars and the sister is playing with them. They didn't have any kids at this time. They owned no Matchbox cars, but here was a Matchbox car rolling down the hallway. And I think the implication is that the ghost manifested it. Which is one of the most curious things I've always found about some ghost stories. And it seems to always be brushed over. There's a lot of times you hear about phantom coins, like people in haunted houses hearing coins drop and they turn around and there's a coin on the ground. We covered a story like that on the show, or I mentioned it on an offhand comment before. It's a weird subset of hauntings. Physical manifestation of an inanimate object. That remains behind. That's magic. Like, ghosts are one thing. You can explain ghosts away in a bunch of different ways. But if things are manifesting out of reality, now we've crossed fully into the world of sorcery. And you would think, how come we don't look more into that? How come that's not a bigger mainstay of ghost stories? Physical pennies dropping out of the sky in haunted houses. Again, that's it's common. And you think that would be a place you would just be like, hum de dum de dum you just bring in a couple of buckets, you're like, ah, now I'm gonna make all my now I'm gonna make my riches one ghost penny at a time. And you figure you could take this matchbox car, right? I would try to find out like when it was manufactured, like was it like the Batmobile little matchbox car from the newest Batman movie? Like, because there's so many weird ways you could look at this. Like, if the kid has access to, he's dead, right? He's a dead kid. Maybe he has access to all matchbox cars, past, present, and future. Because it wouldn't matter to him, right? He's just like sitting at home. He's like, oh, that dog is so boring. Wee! And he starts floating around. And where did he get it from? Did he go to a Toys R Us and he's like, yoink, and takes it off the shelf? And that's why when, <laughs> this is my new conspiracy, when you go to a toy store or department store and you find a package just empty, like the package is there, but the item is empty, it's ghosts. It's ghosts. It's not shoplifters, it's ghosts. Like, where did he get the car? Was it a car from his original collection that he played with, that he manifested into reality? Was it a car that he found in his ghostly travels around? I mean, he's not Casper, but I don't know how else to explain that. He's floating down to the local Walmart and checking out the toys. Or was it a car that was even ever made by Matchbox? Was this car actually produced? Because the thing is, when they find the pennies, pennies are pretty obvious they have dates on them. Matchbox cars have dates on them as well, but, you know, maybe they didn't pick it up and look at it. If you saw them, you look at it, and it's like the year 3022. Who knows? I, I There's so many ways you can look at this. How did the Matchbox car get there? Why did he choose that car? And we're all talking about the reasoning why. How? Did he make the car appear? In ghost stories, we... And I've never taken it for granted. I remember hearing about ghost coins a long time ago, and I go, this is... This should be studied way more. Phantom coins? Money coming out of nowhere? Are they making the money? Or are they stealing the money from somewhere else? Like, did the penny have to be minted, and then he's taking the penny from someone's purse and dropping it on your head in the haunted house? And it really opens up a whole door to, like, the law of attraction. Imagine if you could corral 20 ghosts in some sort of, like, call center, right? And... You just make them constantly make matchbox cars. You get a bunch of ghosts of kids. They're like, oh, I just want to see my mom. And you're like, you can see your mom when she dies. And But until then, you're sitting in my call center and you're going to make matchbox cars for me. And they're just sitting there like, Arr! and they're mentally creating toys from their childhood. And then I take them down to like 
collector shop, antique roadshow, stuff like that. And they're like, whoa, how did you get this original Raggedy Andy doll? This thing's like in mint condition. And then I look at the camera and I'm like, don't look in my basement. There's a lot of dead kids in there. And I'm like, that's just a joke. That's just a joke. And then I get possessed by all the kids. I'm like, ah. But anyways, before that happens, before that nonsense happens, I wonder if you could industrialize. <laughs> Basically, let me let me say what I want to say, but I'm trying to avoid. Um, what if you could industrialize dead children to manifest objects that then you could resell? Now that I think about it, who wants to buy a bunch of stupid matchbox cars? I have... I have like a little I have like a little toy stand outside my house and I'm selling the matchbox cars for a dollar each to the neighborhood kids and when kids are coming by to buy them I'm like you don't happen to be sick do you you look kind of sick and they're like no I'm feeling good and you're like oh man I bet you really like matchbox cars don't you I bet you can make all the matchbox cars in the world and they're like ah running away so yeah it's weird it's weird. <laughs> not my weird money making idea but how do ghosts manifest stuff from this fairly mundane haunting right it's just a poltergeist it's just someone who's kind of messing around we have to look at the theory that ghosts can create things out of nothing and that goes beyond ghost powers like knocking on walls and flushing toilets and flicking lights and standing in the corner while you're taking a shower all that creepy stuff that's creepy stuff but the fact that they can actually manifest stuff out of nothing who's to say you can't be sitting in your house one day and that bloody woman in the corner of your room gets so tired of you she manifests a bullet right into your heart <laughs> and then she manifests a suicide note what that'd be super crazy right that'd be insane and then you're standing there next to her all bloody and stuff like that and you're like uh and now some other guy moves in and he's like, oh, what a nice place. Time to sit on my laptop and play Minecraft for nine hours. And you're like, uh, she's just going to keep doing this. So, Sawyer, let's go ahead. <laughs> that was supposed to be more profound. I don't know why it became my um, slave labor camp. I was really going to focus just on the fact that you can manifest stuff. But Sawyer, Elliot, let's get us out of here. Get us out of this ghost suicide pact. We're leaving behind this house. We're waving goodbye to a little ghost kid. We're headed all the way out to Lynchburg, Virginia. And there's a man. His name is Dr. Eben Alexander. And he's a neurosurgeon. He works on people's brains. And one day he's sitting there in the operating room and he's like... Oh, dude, this guy's brain, it's like totally nuts, but I got to heal it. Give me some of that needles and thread. And he's like, so he's all sewing the brain together. He's like, there it goes, nice and smooth. They're like, doctor, no. He's working on people's brains and stuff like that. And he saves this guy, he puts his skull back on and the guy sits up, he goes, thanks, doc. He's like, you betcha. That's what I do. I save people's brains. And then as he's walking out of the operating theater, this young nurse walks up to him and she goes, Dr. Eben Alexander, that was so cool how you didn't let that guy, you didn't let that guy die. The other doctor just loves to kill people. That's so cool how you didn't let that guy die. But doctor, what do you think would have happened if he had died? And Dr. Eben Alexander goes, hmm, I've thought about this a lot because my job makes me focus on life and death. One wrong stitch, one wrong needle into the brain. He's still obsessed with sewing the brain together. One wrong twist of my wrist and that guy could be dead. And I think there's probably nothing after life, right? It's probably something that when you die, your brain is flooded with chemicals and you just dream of something. That's where all these so-called near-death experiences happen.
And this was kind of his view for around 25 years. He worked in the industry for 25 years. But on November 10th, 2008, he wakes up and he's like, oh, my back. Oh, dude, this totally sucks. Oh. And as he's like complaining about how bad his back hurts, his brain starts to hurt too. He's like, oh no, I need that. I need that to work. Oh. And he has this splitting headache, the worst headache he's ever had in his life, severe back pain. And he's like, oh, dude, I must be super sick with like the flu or something, right? Because apparently he's not a <laughs> apparently he's not a regular doctor. Knows those aren't flu symptoms. He's like, maybe I just have the flu. I'm gonna go back to sleep. And his wife's like, okay, honey, but remember you have that brain operation soon. He's like, I'll do it later. <laughs> he falls asleep. A couple hours later, his wife comes in to wake him up for that brain thing he's supposed to be doing, and she can't wake him up. She's like, even. Even wake up, bro. Wake up, dude. And he's just all, eh. And that's when she calls 911. He's all convulsing and stuff. Uh, and his eyes have rolled back into his head. She's like, oh, no. Uh. So she calls 911. Ambulance shows up. They throw him on a gurney, and he's all convulsing. And they're, like, strapping him down. They're like, I know this guy. This is Dr. Even Alexander. He's the best brain surgeon. <laughs> he's the best brain surgeon I know. And I only know one. We must save this guy's life. So they're taking him to the hospital. It turns out he didn't have the flu, right? Anyone would have known that. Anyone other than him would have known if you have a horrible backache and the worst headache ever. It's probably not the flu. He had bacterial meningitis. It's this virus that was eating at his brain. And he goes to the hospital and they're like, dude, this dude is toast. Like, even if we save him, this virus has been eating so much on his delicious brain that he'll probably be a vegetable. But we'll try to do that, Miss Alexander. We'll try to save him. And so they put him in a medically induced coma. Now, on Dr. Eben's side, this is what happened. And obviously, this is where you do get a lot of skeptics to say, well, you know, it's all the chemicals and stuff that are pumping into your body and all the stuff the body's naturally doing. <laughs> Plus, he did have a brain-eating virus. That's probably not going to help your cognitive skills. But what Dr. Even saw was... He was no longer Dr. Even Alexander. He died and was in this dark underground place. His form, his, his essence, was trapped in jello. And he's just sitting there, completely surrounded by jello, in a pitch black underground cavern. Now he says, I don't know how I knew it was underground. I just felt that it was underground. But I'm sitting there and I'm completely coiled up in this sea of jello. He goes, I couldn't talk. He says, Nothing was in focus. I couldn't see. I had no memories before being inside the jello. And I had no idea of a sense of self. I didn't know I was an individual. I was truly a blank slate. I didn't know who I was or where I was or how I was. And none of that mattered to me. I was in the jello. He said there were these black roots surrounding him. As he's just sitting there in this warm... I'm trying to think of another word for jello. As he's sitting there in this warm jello... As he's sitting there in this warm gelatin. And he has this quote about it. Because he he's been telling people about this. He goes, I, I died. I died and I ended up in the next life. And I had no memories and no sense of who I was. I was just 
this new thing. And people go, oh, that sounds horrible. You're just like trapped in this place and you don't know who you are or, or why you are. You have no idea about your family. You don't remember anything. And he has this quote. He goes, quote, people think going through this experience in this state of almost amnesia must have been very horrific. And yet I knew nothing else as a possibility. And therefore, to me, it all just seemed natural. This was existence. That's a really interesting quote, because again, if I conked you over the head right now with a billy club, and me and that bloody ghost dragged you out of your house, and I took you underground and poured jello all over you, and then you woke up, <laughs> you'd be terrified, right? Because you would know, oh no, I have a family, I'm going to be late to work, and I'm allergic to jello, you start swelling up. <laughs> but if you didn't know anything other than the jello, then why would you be scared? You would have no idea that there was a life outside of this jello prison underground. Really, really interesting way to look at it. And then, th this is, so this is super interesting. So we have, I love that detail to this. The idea that when you die, you can end up in a place and not know anything of life. So there's no mourning, there's no loss, you just simply are. As unique as that experience is, what's interesting is then it transfers into a very, very by-the-book life-after-death experience. It's so basic. There's a gate that shows up. There's this beautiful music playing, and he's like floating through the jello. And then he's taken to a paradise where marshmallow clouds of pink and white are slowly gliding over a valley. And then, like, there's a bunch of people in peasant clothes dancing around. Come on, over here, over here. <laughs> take a bath, take a bath, get the jello off you, and then come over here. And then he climbs on top of a butterfly, and he's, like, flying around on a butterfly, and then there's, like, this beautiful woman sitting next to him. She's like, you're loved, you're loved here. Really basic life after death. I mean, obviously, to him, this was a life-changing experience. I kind of glossed over it, because we've covered stuff like that before, and even if you've never listened to that show before... That's the standard life after death story, right? Where you're walking to paradise, there's people in peasant clothes, you feel like this joyous acceptance and everything like that. But the opening where he's in the jello, I find absolutely fascinating. I've never heard anything like that before with a life after death experience that I can recall. The second, the middle part is a little boring, it's a little redundant, floating around paradise with a butterfly. But then it ends with all of a sudden paradise is replaced with pitch blackness, an infinite dark void. And in the center of it is a bright, pulsating light. And he's looking at it, and he realizes that this is the creator. This is the person who created everything. And it is at this point when he remembers who he is. Even when he was in paradise climbing on the back of a butterfly, he's like, "Wee!" Is his family's mourning him? He's in the hospital. He doesn't even know his family exists. When he's in this black void, that's when he goes, oh, I have a family. Like, I have people who love me back on Earth, and I have coworkers and stuff like that, and I have that brain surgery to do, and I have family members and stuff like that. And then he remembers his life on Earth for the first time, and then he sees five faces appear in the darkness, and they all have this concerned look for him. And he wakes up. He comes out of this. He does have a long recovery. It takes two weeks for his brain to even start to fully function. He's just laying there for a while. Uh, but he does make it. 
And when his brain is finally fully healed and he's opening his eyes, he's able to interact with the world, he realizes, because people are coming in to visit him, he realizes that four of the faces he saw in the darkness were family members. He didn't recognize them at first. But now that he's seeing them in the hospital room, he's like, you were there, and you were there, and you were there. He goes, but there is a fifth face, and I don't know who that was. And apparently, what he says was he found out later there was a relative of his who claims to have psychic powers. And they were trying to contact him telepathically while he was in his coma. It wasn't there in the room, but was somewhere else trying to telepathically contact them. Fascinating story. Fascinating story. It does seem like the Wizard of Oz. That's true. But... We have this idea of the, the really the most fascinating part was the beginning. The rest of it's this guy's telling me a story about miraculous life after death. I'm like, boring. Get back to the jello. Um, the idea of paradise being there, we've covered that before. Find that very fascinating. The idea though of not knowing who you are when you are dead is infinitely fascinating to me. Because that goes against what most major religions preach, at least the Western religions, right? You, you are reunited with your loved ones in the afterlife. But if you, I mean, I guess eventually he was, right? He was running around. Maybe his loved ones also are flying around. They're flying around dragonflies. They're playing jobs. And you're like, ah, trying to fly away in your little slow butterfly. The idea that you can not know, the idea that you exist here and you learn and you grow as a person and then when you die you basically forget all that stuff and you're in this such a natural state and everything's wiped clean is fascinating and a little terrifying i'm not gonna not gonna lie like i think that's why i kind of glommed onto that that's terrifying state but if that's all you knew right this is all we know that's what's so fascinating about life and life after death we don't know what happens after you die i think there's a common some people go, I don't know, and they literally mean they don't know. Like, they don't know if there's life after death. But people like me, I do believe in life after death. I will also say, I don't know. Because it's such a weird question, if someone asks, what do you think happens to us after we die? I will say, I don't know. But the full answer is, I believe we go somewhere, but I don't know what it is or what that experience will be like. Will there be gravity in paradise? Will there be enough butterflies for everyone? Or will some people get stuck with caterpillars and they're just going, ah, uh, uh, they're just riding that caterpillar around. Who knows? Like, that's the thing. When I say, I don't know, I'm talking about the specifics. And I think a lot of people, when you ask them, what do you think happens to you when you die? I think a lot of people, when they say, I don't know, they mean the specifics. They're not talking about the big question about life after death. This is really fascinating. And there's actually been a big push lately. I've been seeing more and more of these articles. Psychology Today just ran a big article on Monday about how it is obvious that there is life after death. There has been so many accounts of people having these experiences. And you can, you can keep saying, well, it's just the chemicals firing in your brain. You can keep saying that over and over and over and over and over again. But... That's, is that really the answer? Is that really the answer? And what's interesting is they say people who are not religious have these experiences. People who did not believe in life after death before this experience afterwards said like was like a huge conversion, right? A huge amount of people saying, oh, it's obvious there's life after death. And what I thought was so interesting, they did this study, and that's what this Psychology Today article was referencing, 
one of the things that constantly popped up in this study was when people die and have these experiences, these near-death experiences, they almost always say, the world I went to was the real world. Like, it felt more real than anything I've ever experienced here. That was a common refrain. When I died, it felt like I woke up. It felt like that was reality, and this is a place we're at while we're learning things, or a place that we're at while we're killing time together. That's so interesting that that was a common statement. When I died, I went to the real place. I was home there. That's where I'm supposed to be. As they're doing the interview, they're like, do you have any cyanide on you? Or maybe, I don't know, like, is this building on the 10th story? A lot of people are saying that that was realer than anything here in reality. Fascinating way to think about it. And again, tying it in with the ghost story, and we'll wrap it up like this. Which one is accurate? How can you have both? How can you have a soul die, like a young boy drown, and then his ghost trapped on Earth, and then this doctor have a brain disease, and go to paradise. Like, how how do the physics of ghosts work? We've talked about that a lot on this show, and it's a question that I'll always wonder. I'm not going to talk about slave labor camps for kid ghosts again, but I'm talking about why are some people ghosts and some people go to paradise? I, I, I don't understand. I mean, you can look at it from a religious perspective, right? You could say, well, maybe Dr. Even Alexander followed this religion. And maybe the five-year-old boy was a dirty heathen. But I don't think it's that, because you do have people that, of all religions, that end up as ghosts. And then you have people of all religions, or no religion, go to paradise. You have these visions, or go to these places, a place realer than the real world. How do you get slotted into what? How do you I think it would be dope to be a ghost, honestly, for a while, but I wouldn't want to do it for like six, seven thousand years, right? But to be honest, I think paradise would get a little boring after six or seven thousand years. Fascinating story. What happens to you after you die? My answer is something happens to you. But whether you become a ghost or you go to paradise or what paradise is like, whether you're reincarnated or sit next to the creator? I don't know. I don't know the specifics. It's so bizarre to me that you can either end up in an endless sea of jello and then dance with other joyous humans in this lush, verdant valley and then hitch a ride on a butterfly wing on your way to meet the creator of the universe. That's one option. The other option is you're a lonely ghost, a little boy in a house, just sitting there. That when a young couple moves in, you get so excited, you start teasing the mom. You just want some affection. You just want some love. Why is the little boy ghost trapped here and Dr. Eben Alexander went to paradise and came back? A true mystery. It's the one question, the one mystery that someday we will all solve on our own. We will all know the truth of life after death sooner or later. 
deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great week.